0: Transcribed from a scribbled note taped to a refrigerator in the Royvas Mansion, it's the RF Generation Nation Podcast Episode 3. I'm your host, Jess.
1: And this is Adam.
0: And we're going to cover a few new additions to the RF Generation front page.
1: We'll cover a few recent gaming news stories, including the Nintendo 3DS, Panasonic's Jungle, and my initial impressions on the PlayStation Move.
0: And mention a true gaming horror classic in our brand old game review. And as always, finish out with a top five. So, on to the show. Blog writer Noise Redux gives us a nice intro into the holiday month of October with mini-reviews of Bubble Ghost, Gargoyle's Quest, and Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Jess here gives his dissertation on whether zombies are truly the perfect video game bad guys. For these stories and more, be sure to check out the homepage at rfgeneration.com.
0: So, up next in gaming news, Adam, what do you feel about Panasonic's new Jungle?
1: First impression, what's with the name? To me, the only reason they went with Jungle is so that they could actually license and use Welcome to the Jungle to try and promote the thing. Aside from that, it seems like an interesting kind of experiment. It's essentially a netbook with joysticks running on a Linux platform with uh, 3G, Wi-Fi, keyboard, and what well, seems like it's going to be marketed as PC gaming on the go. Uh, whether that's exactly the case or not is up in the air. It's also speculated to be running a Linux OS, which right off the bat may turn away some people thinking they can you know, do some WoW raids or hit some Counter-Strike source on the go.
0: Yeah, they mentioned their target is for MMOs on the platform. And unfortunately, with a Linux-based OS, it seems like that's going to be a lot more limited.
1: They have a possibility of pulling something like this off if they can get some support behind it. Whereas, you know, Linux with Wine can do some pretty amazing things, including playing World of Warcraft on a Linux OS. There are plenty of YouTube videos showing... People running many instances of World of Warcraft, controlling many characters at a time. The possibility is there, it's just a matter of how hard are people going to want to work to get a game like that running on this piece of hardware, which also, in its first kind of public showing, looks to be a very large piece of hardware for what they're calling a handheld gaming device.
0: Well, my biggest concern is if it's going to be running Linux, it means it's uh, not likely to be supporting any of the current mainstream MMOs such as World of Warcraft. And if they're looking for people to uh, make custom MMOs for this system, uh, it seems like they might be unrealistically expecting publishers to devote millions of dollars onto an MMO for just this platform, which would be unlikely considering they're already such a, a risky venture as it is when, you know, EverQuest and then WoW became so popular you saw MMOs all over the place and they just as easily dropped to the side left and right and people lost a lot of money over them. It seems like it's entering the market maybe at the wrong time.
1: That's very possible. Uh, The other features that are being touted are HDMI ports, USB ports, headphone jacks. So it may not necessarily be strictly a handheld gaming device. It may be more of a full-featured PSP but Without any kind of real publisher backing known yet, or even with only one game being announced and shown, there's really nothing driving the hype for this machine except for the sheer curiosity of the device.
0: I think in the long run that's going to be the biggest misstep, that it's already kind of garnering a lot of negative press because they push out the reveal without actually any software backing, anything to say, wow, I can't wait to actually play this game that I've seen on this system yet. So it seems like they kind of jumped the gun a little bit, uh, which doesn't bode well for third-party marketing. Yeah, worse comes to worse. We'll be able to pick it up in a few years for Dirt Cheap and use it as our next emulator platform.
1: I know that's what I'm going to do with it. Nintendo. We also heard some news this week about the 3DS launch date and price. The 3DS is going to launch in Japan for 25,000 yen. And it will be out February 26th of next year. There is still no release date yet for the North American launch or the, a price. Most people are speculating $300, but that is a straight market conversion of the yen into U.S. dollars. Most of the time, that may end up being 250 even $200 possibly. Uh, there's really no way to know until you know, a further announcement is made. What do you think about that? I mean, what what kind of a price point would you be willing to get a launch 3DS?
0: Well, it does have some pretty decent horsepower, though not as powerful as what some were expecting, especially since the PSP2 is kind of hovering on the horizon here. So uh, Nintendo always produces uh, a hardware that they can make a, an immediate profit on. And that being said, handhelds not made by Nintendo have traditionally... Uh, sold themselves over the market price that was considered comfortable and ha- featured better, nicer, newer technology, everything from the the Game Gear up to the Lynx, and subsequently failed because of a few technical shortcomings like battery life. But most importantly, they priced themselves out of the market. And
1: I mean, arguably, arguably, you make the same uh, observation about the PSP. Even the PSP held its own, but by no means is it near the sales of the DS, especially after the DS Lite came out.
0: Yeah, there's most people. Yeah, you know, even the PSP defenders readily admit the numbers are always in the in the DS favor uh, when it comes to sales and such. And it seems unlikely that Nintendo would price themselves higher than they typically do. Uh, I don't think they're going to necessarily pull a a Sony with the PS3 and kind of price it out of the market. Uh, then again. They might have that uh, that confidence given that their traditional handheld system sales. This might be the first one that they expect. Yeah, we can get people to pay you know two hundred, three hundred bucks. But you know, keeping in mind the reason why their portable sell so well is because they're so readily uh, available. They're inexpensive. It's something that you can pick up as a gift for you know for for grandpa or for somebody that you know is traveling a lot. Even if they're not big into video games, uh, this one seems to be they're really pushing some. Some interesting hardware, the 3D without the glasses, and they're, you know, they might be expecting that to carry the system at, at a higher price point. Of course, if you have backwards compatibility with all of the previous software, which they've already announced, you've already got an entrenched library, so it does have a, a lot going for it. Uh, for Myself, I won't likely be getting one launch day, but partially because a lot of the titles that are being announced – as good as they are, they're remakes. <laughs> so, um, some of the original stuff I've seen interests me, but not enough for a for a day one purchase. Of course, it's a Nintendo handheld. I know I'll own one probably within the first year or two of release. <laughs> but uh, it, it sells me. It just doesn't sells me as a day one product.
1: Yeah, I uh, mentioned in the forums. I mean, if it if it was two hundred dollars, I mean, I that's that's a very strong price point. To me, because you're looking at the and with with the DSI and the DSI XL recently getting their price drops to 150 and 170, to be able to spend another even look at thirty dollars to get 3D no glasses completely revolutionary technology, even the ability to take 3D photographs and send them to other people, it's very hard to pass up at 200 when you compare it to the DSI where it's got the two cameras, but it's Many of the same DS games, with a few extra features. You got the App Store, but with the 3DS having all that, plus the 3D, plus the widescreen, plus the you know the horsepower behind it. The games in screenshots that I've seen look very good. Most people get a little bit out of shape because they don't look very good. Most handheld screenshots don't look good whenever you first put them out on the internet, and they're you know overly blown up and pixelated. I think once you actually get the hardware in front of you it's going to look fine. $200 is a hard price to beat to me. If it's any more than that, I'll probably wait till either price drop, pick one up, use something like that, but $200 is going to be hard to pass up.
0: If it's priced at that, yeah, the uh the tricky part is I'm surprised they didn't release it for this holiday season. Of course they are in Japan, but over you know over here because next year the console prices are are going to be dropping again and a lot of people who don't have a PS3 360 uh, might not, not even have a Wii. You know, by that time, you're looking at sub $200 systems for, uh, you know, for at least two of them. And when you compare a console for, a, you know, versus a per- portable, this is going to be, you know, a hard comparison to make. Especially once they come out with that uh, with the PSP2, uh, if they do debut that next year, suddenly all of these systems are going to be right around the same price point because we we don't have any hard information on the. Uh, so-called next generation systems from from nintendo sony or or, uh, microsoft so next year is going to be really interesting i don't know if the 3ds is going to get the sales they're hoping for simply because their main competition is going to be consoles that people have been waiting still for a price drop on and um, it could go either way i definitely am cheering for nintendo i I think that the technology you know, looks really interesting. I hope that it's used for uh, for more than just gimmicks because now you have the, the touch screen, now you have the 3D complemented together. You've got a lot of potential for some innovative software there. Uh, I just hope that we get more than uh, 200 titles with the letter Z at the end of it.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and the, and the Wii actually just had a price drop just a couple weeks ago. Anyway, it's down it's down to 199. It's the first. Well, the Xbox Arcade is you know 200, but. For the full-featured console that has everything that you can actually play all the games with for two hundred dollars. <laughs> the other thing is you're getting into the point where it is later in the console's lifespan where you are expected to have a price drop. Whereas this is brand new hardware that's launching where you know typically your portables and your home consoles don't launch at the same time anyway, so their pricing structures are going to be on different timelines typically anyway. PSP launched at two fifty, and the PS2 at that point was already. Far below that, I think it was probably under 200 at that point. So it's possible that even if it's priced higher than the Wii, it's still going to sell because of what the technology is and because you can't get that kind of gaming anywhere else.
0: I'll say this. Uh, I believe that next year, holiday season, the, uh, the holiday season of 2011, is going to be incredible for gamers because you're going to have all of this, uh, <laughs> all of these systems, all competitively priced, all bundles and everything, trying to get somebody to to push out for the the last remainder of of life that you've got for the you know the PS3 360, um, so and the Wii. So I'm I'm thinking that 2011 uh, is going to be a pretty awesome year.
1: <laughs> yeah, if I'll be interested to see if there's any information about the PSP2 that comes out anytime soon. It's now being speculated that Sony's going to be working on a PSP slash Android device, and whether that's going to be the PSP2 or whether that's going to be a different device, kind of interesting to see where that may play out. But yeah, I agree, 2011 could shape up to be a very killer year for gamers.
0: So Mr. Adam, how are your feelings on the move?
1: It's an interesting take on what the Wii is already doing. To me, when I first looked at the move, played the move, looked at the box for the move, anything to do with the Move, like most people, which I'm sure Sony is not wanting them to do, I am comparing everything that I am doing on the Move with what I've been doing on the Wii. And it's an interesting take. The technology works pretty well with the eye camera and the little controller. I only have the one Move control. I don't have the second, the quote PS Chuck yet or a second move controller to do any of the multi-controller games or moves yet. But with what I have and what I've been able to experience, the sports games aren't all just Wii Sports or Wii Sports Resort games. There are some interesting games, like volleyball was very fun to play. It was, as you had, like when I played volleyball, you had your arms out in front of you, and as you move the remote different ways, even if you're not moving it to hit, if you're just moving it to move your arms, it moved in real time the camera was able to track that and uh move your arms accordingly same for setting and spiking there was a very cool sword game in the sports bundle package where you are sword fighting and it did a very good job of tracking where you're slicing your shield movements and it seems to work pretty well the one kind of annoyance it's not really a huge deal but say you're playing the frisbee golf game and then you want to exit out and go play volleyball. Same disc, same player, same everything. You still have to recalibrate every time, which calibration, once you're, once you've done it once or twice, it takes a couple seconds. You hold the controller up to your shoulder, down naturally at your waist, and then at your belt buckle. It takes no time at all. You push a button at each location, and it takes you into the game. It takes, Five seconds. But the fact that you have to do that every time, whereas the Wii kind of has... It seems like it has sort of a baseline of when you're making the movement that it decides to play it out on screen, whereas the camera is actually tracking, so it has to have a baseline for where that ball is lighting up, where the snow cone is lit up before each game. It's an annoyance. I also got to try out the Tiger Woods 11 uh, move demo. And one thing I found very humorous was when you first get in the game, you select the move controller. It gives you an actual warning on the screen that says if you're going to play with the move controller in the demo, you can only play in right-handed mode. You can only play in left-handed mode if you purchase the full game. As a lefty Jesse, I'm sure that you can really appreciate that type of a message whenever you're going to try out a game.
0: People don't believe me when I tell them Sony has a conspiracy out against them. <laughs> it's true. I had trouble with Super Swing Golf, I believe it was, for the Wii, because it didn't have a, a left-handed uh, option. You ha- no. I had to, I had to swing right-handed, and uh, I think even the sequel did that, although I, I'd have to go back in. And- play to remember, but yeah, it was a, a fun little golf game for the Wii. It was before Tiger Woods and Motion Plus on the Wii, so it was kind sure. of the best we had. and It was fun, but uh, I just felt all wrong playing it because I was swinging with the wrong hand, and it did not support an option otherwise, and I, you wouldn't think that'd make a big difference. You'd think it'd be easy to to recompensate, but uh, it just drove me crazy.
1: That's Wow, that's pretty surprising that they would overlook something like that. Well, uh,
0: I tend to think that way every time I see a first-person shooter that doesn't have software, Well, but,
1: Yeah, you know. true. So, the sports game, it was fun. I don't, like I said, I haven't been able to play against anybody, so I'm not, you know, don't have any real party experience with it yet. We also got a party game. I tried some of the games. It worked out, you know, worked pretty well. Some of it was kind of strange. Uh, it was the, uh, we got the start the party game. And because of the way that it does the tracking, either forward or backward or however it does it in this particular game, It seemed like even if I was doing the motion or doing whatever it wanted me to do on the screen, it wasn't picking it up quite right. And I'm not sure if it's a limitation of the software, if it's something that I was doing where I wasn't holding it right or doing something exactly right. It might take a little more uh, actual playing it to determine what what the deal is. But the only other game I will mention now is the iPet and... I wasn't so sure about that one. It looked interesting, and once I actually played it, it seemed like it was a lot of fun. You know, you have this little pet that you you have the camera pointed down at your carpet, and it shows your living room on on your TV, and there's a little pet that walks around on your carpet. And you can use the Move controller to do, you know, use different items, or you can actually... One of the things that has you do in the demo is you can actually reach your hand out over the pet. The camera will pick it up, and you can pet your iPet without using any kind of controller.
0: Hmm.
1: And me and my son sat down in front of the TV, and we were playing it. And he thought it was very neat to be able to reach his hand out into nothing and be able to watch on screen and be able to pet this virtual creature that wasn't really there. He thought it was a lot of fun. You can, if you take the Move controller and like tap it on the ground that your pet will whip around and, like, pounce on it like it's a cat. And he, you know, he was watching that. He thought it was just absolutely hilarious. It seems like it's a lot of fun. Again, I only have experience with the demo, but that'll probably be my next move purchase.
0: I would just be hoping that Skittles the tiger would be jumping out to eat it, but that's just me. <laughs> now, the resolution on the PlayStation I camera is, what well, like, 640 by 480? I think that because I remember reading that that was a, po- a potential design limitation for the augmented reality games where you have a projection of whatever the camera is seeing and then you, know, you interpolate it with something virtual, but uh, at a lower resolution um, it seemed like that that could be a potential limitation in the future, but then again, they haven't really done a whole lot with that that uh, idea of a game so far, and I'm kind of curious. That That to me is one of the the innovations that they could still go through with on uh, hooking a camera up to a game machine is—is is that kind of, I guess I'm still pining for that old '90s virtual reality idea where we could actually have some kind of virtual space to do something in.
1: And wearing giant helmets and bumping into things. No, no. You see,
0: I wouldn't be wearing <laughs> a giant goofy helmet on my couch. My my avatar on the screen would have the ah. Uh, so I, I guess projected onto him.
1: Yeah, the eye it it works at 640 by 480, at 60 hertz or 320 by 240 at 120 hertz, which Sony says is four times the resolution twice the frame rate of the iToy, which doesn't really say a whole lot about the iToy. Or the
0: fact that you had to have the sun itself directly above it to make the thing <sighs> work.
1: Yes, that's another big issue with it. It says that low light is supposed to work better, well, not, not work better, it's supposed to work better in low light than the iToy, That is not necessarily the case. I had to turn on a lot of lights in our living room to actually get get a decent image for the iPad. Otherwise, it was extremely blocky in low-light situations. And it just didn't seem to work as well in a low-light situation for any other just regular motion tracking games.
0: This might actually be a larger concern for... People who play games in general, because you you have to have pretty bright lighting to be able to have these camera interfaces work correctly. And especially since now everyone's switching to these, you know, crummier, lower light bulbs. It might be an issue. I remember I, I really enjoyed the iToy when it first came out for the PS2, but I could hardly ever use it because I literally had to set a halogen lamp above my entertainment <laughs> center for it to work right, and it was just awkward, you know. And actually, that's a kind of a, a related issue with the Kinect is that uh, it was just revealed in the documentation that was leaked out. You have to have like a, a six foot distance between the Kinect unit and you for it to respond correctly.
1: And, and not only that, I've also heard some speculation that they may be talking about wearing different you know, either different or like changing to different clothes for it to pick up you moving correctly. Um, Six to eight feet is really, that's not a, you know, not a small area. That's a lot of room to be able to play a game.
0: A lot of people have these entertainment centers that are kind of set up and spaced out in the living room, but then again, you've got just as many uh, many gamers who are playing in their basements, playing in a, a smaller confined room, and the TV is sitting, you know, like three feet away from them. It's, little do we realize all these advertisements that show this perfect, you know, goofy, expensive family in front of a TV, they are actually modeling, like, works in this ideal environment. Yeah, you are gotta they-
1: have, you have to have a 5,000 square foot house to play the Kinect properly that, you know, that doesn't work. I mean, you have people that are, you're trying to market this to young kids who may have a PlayStation or an Xbox in their bedroom and, you know, you look at, you know, most kids' bedrooms are, like, 12 by 12 even, just to give out a nice round number.
0: Yeah, you throw a bed and a chest of drawers and, a you know, some other you stuff in there. Just a,
1: you just throw a bed in there, and that's, you know, you're cutting down a lot of space for to be able to play your connect. People that are playing it in, you know, college students trying to play it in a dorm room. If you've never been in a dorm room, <laughs> it's the smallest space you'll ever live in. When you If share... you've ever been
0: in a walk-in closet, you've been in a dorm room. Oh,
1: I would have loved a walk-in closet compared to a dorm room. No, it really wasn't that bad once we you know lofted our bed six feet in the air and we were able to put in a lot of you know move our furniture around at that point but that's beside the point. You've got people that are trying to do this in a very limited amount of space, whether it is a dorm room, a bedroom or even a you know an apartment in the city where they have you know a lot of urban dwellers living in apartments. you're not going to be able to just. Set up your connect and have eight feet of space to necessarily play a game with.
0: I once lived in a walk-in closet. True story. <laughs> yeah, it, now you have to have kind of a, a specific design for your gaming room to be able to facilitate this. And as we add more peripherals and more stuff, you know, you're, it's it's just going to get harder and harder just to turn something on and and play a game, which is actually counter to the the design of these things. Uh, you know, there's Working at a game store, I know that several people uh, came in looking for a solution for uh, a sensor bar for the Wii before they released a wireless one, third-party wireless one, at that, because they had their entertainment stuff like the Wii set way at the end of one room and then their big huge TV way at the end of the other room, and, sure. and they couldn't make the thing work where you know they were comfortable. And you know this was before they announced, well, you could set a candle on either end of the TV and it'll work. <laughs> before we knew about the the IR uh, setup with it, but. Okay. You know, these companies are kind of sabotaging themselves on the on the casual market by trying to produce this new tech while you know without finding a good way to work around some of these limitations
1: well I think that the casual market those people aren't gonna be the ones that are you know that's typically going to be the ones that are gonna have or that will be able to make the space for it it's people with the hardcore home home theater systems uh, people with ridiculous game rooms like you know, I would say a lot of the people listening to the podcast may have, where you just have either stuff, you got a family, or you just don't have room to set up just for your game. I think there's going to be plenty of people that will have the room, and that's who they're marketing toward, which is really a shame because I'm, I'm still not entirely sold on Kinect, but you know, that may change once it actually comes out. And if that does change once it actually comes out, I won't be able to play it because I just don't have the room in my uh, living room.
0: Yeah, it actually is forcing me to redesign what my future game room uh, is going to be spaced out as because originally I didn't have quite that much space all around in the in the area that I was going to need. So, yeah, it's already forcing me to have to reconsider. And the thing that gets me about Kinect, the reason why I think that there's such a big push on it, isn't necessarily to compete with Move and with with the Wii. Microsoft's been toying around with these interfaces for a while, and I got a feeling that if they can go anywhere with Connect, they're going to try to push it into... Um, just part of their their overall technology market. I think that's something that they're going to try to throw out on PCs. I think that's going to be something they're going to include in their next console, and uh, maybe even built into a 360 before before that market's out. Uh, I, I think they're going to try to push it as as the next interface that you have for for accessing things, because that'll put them uh, you know one more step ahead of the curve. If that catches on, then they're going to be you know they're already going to have all that tech groundwork by the time everyone else is expecting it. And you know, we've been wanting that whole Minority Report virtual interface, you know, which was basically the more realistic dream of the whole VR thing you know, as a mainstay they've been working on it for years and that's just it seems like a pricey risk to just compete with the Wii and with uh, with PlayStation I think that you know they got kind of more of a sinister plot of foot, so to speak
1: Well, yeah, as much as they've been pushing you know especially multi-touch and other non keyboard and mouse interface with windows 7 where they you know they may have been working on it with vista but to be able to actually push that as a driving technology for um the latest version of windows and to use the xbox as oh it's a wide enough market so that people can get some exposure to it but it'll be seen as a gaming accessory when it's seen as a pc peripheral you're not going to have the sort of people using it all the time to be able to get the kind of feedback or the kind of customer use out of it to be able to fine-tune it. Whereas once you get that down uh, better to work, You, you know, you, if you can get that down to be able to use it with your webcam that's integrated on almost every single laptop that's coming out these days, it could be huge.
0: Yeah, I got a feeling that's the direction they're going to eventually try to go with it. One last thing, just while... We ended up on the subject of Connect, that I have to throw in there Steel Battalion. Connect. <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I, just, I don't even know if there's anything else to say there. I, we'll, we'll wait and see.
1: Well, a lot of people. We, we had our discussion in the forums about the Steel Battalion on Connect, and a lot of people really enjoyed my quote after somebody, somebody said, what, what are all these people that. You know, spent $200 on a controller to play, you know, the game of the controller to play Steel Battalion. What are you we going to do, do about again. this? I said, yeah, you're going to spend another 150 on this one. Well, you know, that's what it's going to be. And I just, there's, I'm just not sold on anything except for a static, non-moving game. I'm just not seeing it. If they can show me a game where you're actually moving and not, like racing moving like foot race moving like the booth babes in korea or whatever did which worked horribly um if you can show me something where you're actually they were playing a game well they were (laughs) bouncing up and down but apparently there was something with the connect that was interfacing that made them try to run but if you can show me something that is not just a driving game a party game a dancing game where you're actually moving around in 3d space and you can show me it working well i'll be a little more optimistic until then i'm gonna hold off
0: grandpa's funeral took place today although the ceremony went well it did nothing to console me i feel empty lost. Returning to the mansion offers me no comfort. It's cold, distant, as though it rebels at my very presence. And in honor of the season, our brand old game review is none other than the classic GameCube title Eternal Darkness by the once lauded and now slightly fallen from grace Silicon Knights. Somewhat piggybacking off of the popularity of the Resident Evil franchise, Eternal Darkness up to the ante with a few different technical achievements, most notably the sanity effects, where the player character would experience bizarre in-game events based off of their level of sanity, another meter similar to a health meter or magic meter, and oftentimes breaking the fourth wall to where it would actually affect player interactions with the game. Nintendo actually has a patent on the idea of sanity effects listed because they were so impressed with this feature.
1: And that's really the main thing that sets the game apart to me. Uh, Resident Evil had a strong series of games leading up to the point of Eternal Darkness's release, but the use of the sanity effects, what they actually did, and their range of devices that they used to trying to throw you off in the game really puts it on a whole nother level. I mean Resident Evil is scary. It's got you know, it's got the monsters the dogs breaking through the glass the first time. It's got all these strange creatures. But Eternal Darkness is just it's twisted. It is there to mess with your head, whether it's going through parts of the game and then you'll suddenly have a flashback to where you're actually at in the game. Or you are suddenly dead and you go to a game over screen and it flashes back again. Or it tells you that it's formatting your memory card.
0: Makes me wonder how many people actually lost a memory card by thinking that they were going to have to start over again. Most people have heard of the more common fourth wall breaks such as the memory card, lack of play control, or even the video looking like it was going out on your TV. But it was some of the more, well, comparatively subtle effects that I was very impressed with having an avatar about to go through a door and then suddenly they look down at the pistol they're carrying, hold it to their head fire the shot, and then it wipes out with that sinister laughter back to a moment before when you were standing at the door but then you check your inventory and you have a bullet missing. It's stuff like that, you know, that uh, <laughs> I, I was quite impressed with. I'd already kind of heard some of the bigger reveals of sanity effects unfortunately when I got the game, and I got it close to its debut, so that's how popular a lot of these things were and what people were talking about um, even beyond the sanity effects, though, I think that that almost overshadowed a lot of overshadowed a lot of the uh, accomplishments I felt the game had, such as a play control scheme that I actually liked playing a survival horror game with. Everything from uh, just dropping the tank-like controls of Resident Evil games all the way back to Alone in the Dark, and actually using a a full-on 3D control method with the analog and allowing wow. you to even target specific body parts on the enemies and such for combat just made the whole game feel perhaps some, somewhat more like an action game, but giving you a sense of control that I felt a whole lot more comfortable with. It's it's like the game knew it didn't have to limit your skills as a game player to still be able to do something to trip you up or, or to freak you out during the process of the game. And it's that confidence the game gave you as a game player that it could still freak you out, even giving you almost full control much more over what people are used to with like a Resident Evil game. There wasn't as many inventory issues. Just it, The whole game, to me, felt... Much smoother than the Resident Evil titles all the way, pretty much up till till four, and um, it was just a lot more fun to play. I mean, I actually had a desire to, to keep returning to it um, more so, just because it was something I would enjoy playing, even without the, the all of the added effects and the horror element.
1: I mean, going along with the gameplay, there are um, there's such a variety of puzzles in the game as well, where you have to. It's not just go around to find. You know, go to this room, find a key, bring it back, use the key. It unlocks another room where you have to do the same thing over and over again. It's not, you know, it's not a key quest. It sort of is at some points, but, well, like, very early on, second, I think, second stage, you are, I'm I'm not, this really isn't spoilers because it's that early in the game, but you have to, to solve the puzzle, you have to blow out certain candles to make the candles reflect what time of day it is. So, I mean, they have some unique puzzles that, you know, make you think about the game instead of it just being an item collection quest. But the environment really well really the very the various environments that the game places you in, you know, makes for a varied playthrough and the different effects to match those environments such as again this goes you know back to the sanity stuff, but you know, you'll be in a a very dark temple and if your sanity you know it's not all the way down where you're starting to get into the very extreme events but even like strange noises in the background and just like you might feel when you're actually in a dark place or in a cave or something like that you're going to you might start hearing things and that's exactly the environment that it portrays
0: it did an excellent job of creating mood and atmosphere from the the trippy whisperings and skittering noises in the background to uh, Good use of early light sourcing and just the you know pretty good texture work for, for the technology at the time. You know, all the way to cameras and angles, uh, again in a brilliant fashion and. Alone in the Dark really capitalized on the awkward camera angles to kind of set a mood for the scene that was playing out, but Eternal Darkness took that a step further, and the more insane your character was going, the more erratic the camera angle would go. I mean, it would really get skewed to the point to (laughs) where it was a player where, you know, I don't think it really ever felt like it limited control, but you really did feel like you were losing your grip on what was going on. Uh, You'd even see things like, you know, blood running down the walls and such, and you knew that it was an illusion, but it just sold the atmosphere of the game. If you're a fan of Lovecraft's Cthulhu Mythos, this game was just amazing. It was probably the best survival horror game since Alone in the Dark, or any game with that type of feel in that genre since then, uh, because it really did bring out uh, the familiar elements of that genre.
1: The other very impressive thing to me is that this is not a game that was originally designed for the GameCube. This was originally a Nintendo 64 game that was brought to the GameCube, early in its lifespan as opposed to late in the N64 lifespan. And, you know, you can tell that the graphics may not be as good as some GameCube games, even early ones, but the atmosphere and the gameplay really sells the game, where if it wasn't there, the graphics would definitely, I think, take another knock on that.
0: Yeah, this this wasn't like Animal Crossing, where it was obviously a direct port from, say, a Nintendo 64 title that we hadn't seen before. There were some simplistic character models, there were some textures that, that were lacking, but, you know, overall, It really sold itself based off the art design, the atmosphere, excellent sound design. It was fun to play, fun to control. If you have ever considered yourself a fan of anything related to horror gaming, or even just a fun action game, this one, definitely, definitely pick up. And believe it or not, it's worth going through all three times to see the real ending. Just had to throw that out there. and in keeping up with our October theme of Halloween top five things that keep video game collectors up at night number five that hot gamer girl wants to race you to a complete DS library number four secret warehouse found containing 10,000 copies of stadium events number three two words magic marker number two That flea market you just passed up really did have a box with every complete Neo Geo game in it. And number one, that same box was marked, Don't have a VCR, free to good home. Well, that scary idea wraps up another episode of RF Generation Nation. As always, if you have any questions, comments, queries, thoughts, or topic suggestions, be sure to post them on our forums at www.rfgeneration.com or in our brand new phone number. That's right. You can call us at 318-734-8475. That's 318-RFGTIP5. Calling that number will get you to a voicemail box that you can post or leave anything that you'd like, and we'll be sure to answer everything we can get to
1: or you can chat with us via web app or with your favorite IRC client at RFGeneration on QuakeNet. You can also email us directly at podcast at rfgeneration.com Also check out the website for forums, more blogs, and to track your video game collection, that homepage is www.rfgeneration.com And as always, don't forget to keep it on Channel 3.